Welcome to The Partnership, the straight-up business podcast where co-founders chat co-founders with co-founders. I'm Jennifer Bettmeyer. And I'm Melissa Duran-Connor. We know... We, what are you doing? Go ahead. <laughs> we know a thing or two about being business partners. We launched media relations agency, Jennifer Beck Communications, aka JBC, together in 2014. So each episode, we invite co-founders to share their stories about building something new from the ground up. Today, we're excited to be speaking with Alexa Buckley and Sarah Pearson, former college roommates who co-founded direct-to-consumer footwear brand Margo in 2015 just a year after they graduated from Harvard. Neither Alexa nor Sarah, who met their freshman year at a cab stand, had plans to get into retail, but they felt a calling to create the perfect classic ballet flat. And the rest, as they say, has been history. So essentially, I was talking about how I met you, you know, five plus years ago at the beginning, actually, of JBC as well at the Nomad Hotel. And I was really, really blown away by just first of all, how young you were. And number two, how passionate, focused, driven, and smart you were in your approach to starting this business. And I remember I went back to Melissa and I was like, those girls are going to do something big. Um, like I, you just had that passion that, that you don't see a lot. And it wasn't about like, oh, you know, like we have this VC and this VC and this investor and this advisor. You were like, listen, we don't really know a lot about this, but we are, we have a vision and we are going to bust our ass, like figuring this out. And I, I, to this day still see that in your products. So how focused you were about having one product at the time. And it Mm. wasn't about coming out with like 42 different shoes and colors and fabrications. It was about a real hero product. Well, thank you for those kind words. Gosh, that means a lot. And I think, you know, having one product at that time was, as much of a statement about the mission that we were trying to serve as it was about where we were as individuals at the time. And we had everything to learn about not only the footwear industry, but the real world in general. And being able to kind of distill that focus into a single product that allowed us enough to like articulate our vision without overcommitting before we knew enough kind of back from our customer about what she really cared about and what she really wanted. And I think that is and continues to be one of the most interesting and exciting parts of building a business is that that feedback from your customer is this constant, unexpected, twisting turn path that takes you to places you never would have thought you would have gone at the very beginning because your customer in the best case scenario grows with you. And as her, as she grows, her needs grow and evolve. And I think that the best example of that has been the last year and where our product mix has really flipped on its head and in all sorts of exciting and interesting ways that I think a year ago, if you had said 50% of our products would have been invented in 2020, we never would have believed it. 50% of our best selling products. Um, and so I think that that, you know, initial focus was, the initial and first step in allowing us to be in this conversation with our customers. And we've learned over time how important that conversation really is. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the beauty of being a digitally native brand, right? Is that you can react so much faster than, you know, the incumbent brands that have existed before you. So, um, so, so that, that, that must be a huge advantage, I guess. Let's just go back a little bit to, let's talk about your partnership because this podcast is called The Partnership. And so many of our founder 
duos that we talk to often start as friends. Um, so I'd love to hear more about like your relationship and, you know, and how did you guys feel comfortable kind of moving from, you know, this friendship rooted in your experience at college into running a business together and launching it basically right out of school? Yeah, that's a great question. And sort of what we were getting at earlier too, was that this was never the plan. Um, this was something that sort of surprised us and captured our imaginations and it became the plan along the way. I think there's something really special about being friends first um, and really having kind of that foundation to build your partnership upon because in many ways, you know, much like a marriage, a partnership, business partnership is a total marriage. Um, and, you know, the life that you share is the business that you're creating, but it really needs to be built on this foundation of trust to have absolute trust in the other person that they are going to have your back come hell or high water because that will happen. And there will be so many highs and lows along the way. And there's something that's really wonderful about starting a business with a friend because that trust is there. And often, you know, there's a, a shared value system that's there already. Uh, but also it can be challenging too for some people. I think we have been so fortunate in, you know, how our friendship and partnership have blossomed, but we also know that that's not the case for everyone. And so in a lot of ways, we feel really fortunate that we've been able to have both the friendship and the partnership that we have. And in the most wonderful way, we are closer friends than when we started. And Alexa will always be my number one person, both in business and in life. Did you have reservations in the beginning? Like, well, we have such a great friendship and you hear so many horror stories of friends that start businesses together and then, you know, something happens and one gets pushed out and the friendship ends. Or did you have kind of, you knew that the foundation of the friendship was strong enough to kind of sustain growing a business together? Mm, that's a good question. I personally never had those reservations, I think, because that friendship from day one was just so strong. And I think that we both knew that each other's hearts were in it. And that when you make that commitment to take the leap together, you know that you're going to figure it out together and you have no other choice but to figure it out. We were 22 at the time. Uh, and, and this was, you know, the biggest risk that we had ever taken, but it was also one that we went into knowing that we would do whatever it took to make this a success. So how do you guys nurture and protect your partnership and your friendship? Like, are there boundaries? Do you say after five o'clock, we only talk about, talk about personal things? Like, because Jen and I literally have none of that. We just free flow it all the time. <laughs> we volley back and forth between personal stuff and work stuff 24 seven. And it works, but it works for us. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. It's you know, I don't think that probably works for a lot of people, but it does for us. Um, so I, we're always curious about the answer to this question. Well, I will say, though, just a caveat that most like we weren't good friends before we started the business. So like our friendship grew at the same kind of pace as our partnership mm -hmm. as business partners grew. So there was kind of like that. It wasn't like we had this foundation of friendship first, you know? Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, maybe you had, maybe you had a friendship with me, but like, you know, we weren't <laughs> no, super close. I mean, no, I think we're really rare and super unique. I mean, uh, and I will say that about us because yeah, we didn't have a ton of foundation to build off of, but I've always said that we were meant to do this together and it was more 
fate than anything. So, and that, and it just yeah. worked. People ask me all the time, like, how do you and Jen work? I'm like, we just do in that mm-hmm. there's yeah. no explanation. There's no rhyme or reason. Don't try to figure it out. Just roll there's with no it. Formula. Actually, there's I no formula. There's no rules. Honestly, <laughs> I thought about this the other day and then we'll go back to you too. But I think we were married in a past life. Like I really, <laughs> I was thinking about this. We probably because, are bored too. I definitely it think we were. weird how... We are, neither of us are easy. Like both of our husbands will say, like we are not easy. We are a lot. Like we're a lot of passion and energy, and work is a huge portion of both of our lives. But for some reason, we fit. Like we mm-hmm. just know how to talk to the other person. Melissa knows how to handle me when I'm, you know, having a lot of anxiety. I know how to handle her when she's like in a bad mood. Like we just, it, it's always come so naturally. So I was thinking about it, and I'm like. This is not even learned behavior. This has been since year one we've been able Mm -hmm. to do this. So I'm like, there must be some (laughs) past life where we were intertwined and that's where we figured it out. And that's why we're able to interact this seamlessly in this life. Yeah. I'm sure that we have some element of that in our past lives, past histories, but in the exact same way, I feel like, I mean, Alexa and I started as friends first, but it wasn't, you know, a friendship that was a a slow roll. It was just that kind of instant comfort with one another from the get go Mm -hmm. and kind of like a recognition that that person is something special and that the chemistry between the two was also something special. And so then that was able to develop into, you know, business and life uh, as we started the business. Yeah. And I think I'm sure you two feel this way also that when you build anything, it is so all consuming that the notion that you can really separate life from that thing is just like, oh, I think it's nearly impossible. And I think the best partnerships are those that allow for the other stuff to come in because then you can kind of bring your full self. And some days it's, it's just all work. And some days it's, you're sick or you're anxious or you've had your heart broken or you're going on a really fun date. And, and to be able to bring your full self is the best kind of partnership because that's how you can be there for one another. Um, And I think that the I don't know if it's an inherently feminine thing, but being able to be there for each other in full capacities has been the thing that's created, I think, the strongest foundation of our mm-hmm. relationship. So like us, you let it free flow it up. It kind of totally total free flow. I like that. We're, and we're in constant contact too. It's like you have slacks and you have texts and you have emails and <laughs> phone calls interspersed in between. And so and like the communication DMs, is constant. Like it's, it's from every direction. <laughs> Group text with me and Alexa and Alexa's boyfriend. It really, <laughs> it goes in all directions. It's amazing. It's sort of everything. Have you guys, from. did you find it? I, I mean, I know you're both on the East Coast, but I imagine through covid you were both remote for a good portion of it. Was it hard not physically seeing each other every day? It was. It was. I think that that was one of the hardest things about the first really five to six months of COVID was not being physically with each other because, you know, like for so many other small businesses, especially in the retail category, those months were so intense and you know nothing could have prepared us to be ready for the challenges that we ended up having to face and to have to do that um, at a distance from one another was really difficult but 
at the same time, like we were just saying, we were in constant contact and Alexa and I would spend hours on the phone each day. And, you know, our replacement for not being there physically in person is that some days we would just sit on FaceTime for six to eight hours at a time, almost pretending like we were together so that we had (laughs) sort of that companionship and camaraderie and and made that for ourselves, even though we were, you know, hundreds of miles apart for a lot of it. I mean, I I moved to LA two years ago now. So Melissa and I were used to spending every minute together for, I guess, five years or maybe six years. And then I moved out here. So we kind of had to get used to it pre-COVID, like we had figured Mm. out a flow. But I will say, I think one of the hardest things was in the beginning of COVID. Yeah. I mean, it was an unbelievably hard time for our agency as well. We had to make, you know, hard decisions and have some very uncomfortable conversations. And I, I remember like being on Zoom and like being on the verge of tears and talking to our team and like, all I wanted was like for someone else to be in the room with me. And I'm like, I just wish Melissa was standing next to me while I was saying all this, because like there's such to me being next to someone physically is just a different sensation. Like I flew to New York a few weeks ago after I got vaccinated and I spent two days working out of Melissa's house in Connecticut. And like, it was so refreshing to just be able to physically be in the same room as her working together. Like mm-hmm. I, I said to her at the end, I'm like, okay, that's why I love my job. Like mm-hmm. it, yeah. it's just such a different sensation. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people were struggling. I know with like the whole idea of going back into an office and what is our workday going to look like and how are we going to do it? And, and someone on our team said like, well, can't we just stay remote forever? And it was like, Melissa and I didn't even have to like think twice about it. We're like, no, because Mm -hmm. we need that like collaborative physical connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's energy that gets passed between people Mm -hmm. when you're in the room together. And it's, it's, you know, that makes your work feel fulfilling and that makes it exciting. And, you know, as great as Zoom is, and as well as we've all been able to navigate this, there's really no replacement for being there in person. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Something you said earlier about COVID and trying to navigate what was going on with your business made me curious about how do you guys, if you do like split up responsibilities when it comes to the business, do you kind of act as one unit or do, does Alexa kind of manage one part of the business while Sarah does the other? I'm curious how that works for you guys. Sarah and I divide our roles and responsibilities, I think, pretty naturally. Um, we share the things that are most important. So sort of where we're taking this business and kind of the products that we want to design to get there. Um, but then we split things internally, externally. So Sarah oversees all internal operations like products and finance, logistics, um, and I do external operations. So sort of the um, partnerships, social media uh, marketing side of things. Do you guys, do you, I'm, I'm realizing now, Melissa, how often we say you guys yeah. and I hate it. Um, it's okay. We I, do the same thing. I know, but it's, it just know, doesn't we sit well with me, but I don't know what the substitute is. Um, so have you ever been, and I mean, knowing you both not well, but over the years, you know, you have a very similar value system and aesthetic. Have you ever gotten to a place where the other person makes a decision? I'm just going to use you as an example, Alexa, like, you really are passionate about a partnership and Sarah, you're like, no, I don't, I feel like this doesn't make sense. Do you, does that happen ever? Or do you usually just say, listen, she's the expert here. I'm going to let, I'm going to trust her and 
let it happen? Or do you ever kind of get to a place where one of you feels strongly about a decision the other person's making and you need to speak up? It's a great we were asked question. this recently. Yeah. yeah. I we were asked this recently and we were talking about it and what we ended up talking about and realizing is that there are very few times where we have, you know, really fundamentally disagreed. I think that often we come to the table with different perspectives or different point of views, but then we come to the table with kind of a desire to talk it out. And so we sort of work through the thought process together out loud rather than having made up our mind going into the conversation. So it's really a collaborative decision-making process, which is in many ways, like helped avoid kind of those, um, those conflicts or those impasses. And there have been situations definitely though there are few and far between when we you don't agree and we don't agree in the direction of something or the look of something, but then we always take a step back and we give it time and time is sort of the great arbiter and time always points us in the right direction. And then we're able to come back to the conversation two, three days later and sometimes have a change of heart or a fresh perspective, or, you know, we end up exploring a third option that wasn't even on the table before. And that has always really worked for us. And so truly cannot think of anything that um, sticks in my mind as a, a decision that we couldn't work out. No, we're, I mean, we're so lucky in that way. And I do think what we've learned is that time is such an amazing like third party in that mm -hmm. decision-making process. And when you step away, it's no longer like the ego is no longer in play about being mm -hmm. right. It's just like, what is the best thing to accomplish this goal that we have both very much aligned on and the right thing kind of in accomplishing that goal is always very clear once you stepped away for a day or an hour. And then when you come back, because we're so aligned on what we, where we want to go, we're just trying to figure out the best way to get there. It's usually a lot clearer. So let's talk a little bit about your brand. And you were mentioning at the beginning of the podcast, you know, that this last year has been obviously unbelievably challenging. It's been challenging for, I mean, I don't know anyone it hasn't been challenging for from a retail perspective, but specifically fashion, I think has been hit extremely hard. Um, we have quite a few brands. Um, so we understand that. And we've kind of watched as they... Uh, I hate this word too, but like pivot their business or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of transition into doing different things. Um, how have, and I will tell you, which is a compliment, like from a consumer perspective, you would have never known because I think if anything, it looks like your brand has kind of blown up a lot in the last year. And there's been so much newness and excitement and, you know, the aesthetic, it has never been diluted. So, so talk to us a little bit about kind of what this last year has been for the brand and how you've had to kind of, you know, transition or, or do different things or, you know, keep it going. Wow. Um, Where to begin? Yeah. <laughs> this past year. And if you're anything like <laughs> Melissa and I, it involved a lot of wine and a lot of crying. Yeah. <laughs> All of those things. And that. Yeah. Daily yeah. walk. Well, from not the wine for me because I was like seven and a half months pregnant and oh. I was just miserable. Melissa's been Melissa's been permanently <laughs> pregnant for three years. So <laughs> essentially like it's been me drinking, although I don't even drink that much, but like just me being, sitting on calls with Melissa yeah. and any given day, one of us would be crying about something. Yeah. So no, yeah, we've been, I mean, right. <laughs> and especially going from moving at 100 million miles an hour to this kind of 
halt um, was just an adjustment in and of itself. But I think when we think about the last year, it was one of the greatest things to perhaps ever happen to our business. And I think it's in some ways just due to the fact that when you're going 100 miles an hour, it's just inconvenient to slow down and to perfect the little things that eventually catch up with you. And um, that opportunity to take stock of every little bit and piece, whether it's systems or technology or product um, or team, and really dig into all of those things to perfect and change because we finally had the time and we really needed to in the name of survival um, was a huge gift because we were on a train that was moving really fast and probably not the right direction and slowing down just enough to really think about where we were going. Um, put like, kind of put us on a different track that I think we would have ever expected in some ways and perhaps not obvious in others. Uh, and it gave us the time to do the things that we just didn't have the time to do before. And one of those things was build community. And that was a in some ways a very incremental and in the moment seemingly fruitless effort because it really is something that if it's going to happen, happens um, slowly and organically over time. And then all of a sudden you look back after six months and you're on the top of the mountain and say, whoa, like we really have a community here all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And and those sorts of things that um, were unfortunately almost like a second priority when we were moving at warp speed before became top priority. And then coming out of it as the world has woken up you know, having this community and having a total new focus on product and a different direction for product has put us in a really fun um, and exciting place. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the d- new direction for product or maybe kind of an evolved direction? Evolved direction would say for sure. I mean, the foundation of publicist way to look at it. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect way. Like the foundational principles of the brand are exactly what they were when we first started. It's just taking a different form to meet our customer where they are, uh, but then also to create product that we personally, you know, Alexa and I and our team truly love uh, and cannot wait to wear ourselves. And so it started with just taking stock of everything that we had in terms of, uh, you know, what used to be bestsellers. And that completely changed overnight. It was like our product mix was turned on its head. We used to sell heels all day long and heels was Mm -hmm. such a focus of the business. And overnight, heel sales turned off and we were only selling flats and we were only selling sandals. And so we had to make all of these quick adjustments, you know, on the inventory side of things. What do you do with this inventory of heels? Do you have, how do you get more inventory in of the things that are moving that weren't moving previously? And then thinking about new product, it's what does our woman, our customer need and want to wear right now? And what do we personally want right now. And we really took that kind of right now approach for a lot of 2020. And the things that we were able to do kind of from a product development standpoint, probably will never be repeated and should be repeated. But we had some products that went from sketch to production in-house in eight weeks, which is truly unheard of. But we've been working with our factory now in Spain for almost seven years. They really understand our look, our aesthetic, what we need from a comfort perspective. And we were just able to iterate on the fly in a pretty unbelievable way. And Alexa handed it this this before. This is a great PR story. This is a great like editorial story. (laughs) I know like that's always how we look at it, but like listening to you talk about 
the heel versus flat and how like today's woman is dressing and how you've had to kind of transition so quickly. Like this is such an interesting editorial story, but go on. Mm -hmm. Completely also. That's a good reminder. Um, But yeah, we ended up, you know, really bringing in a ton of new product in the back half of the year. And Alexa hinted at this before, but when we ran the numbers at the end of 2020, over 50% of the product that we sold was product that was introduced in 2020, which we didn't even realize it in the moment, how like impactful and important and like critical to survival all of that was. But we were just laser focused on getting through to the other side and we were laser focused on staying agile and just responding to like the information that we had at the time and doing what we could to make it work. But you also did it without losing like your brand identity. Mm -hmm. I think the tricky thing, right, is for a lot of DTC brands and, you know, these startups is they can move quickly like you did. Um, but it's hard to move quickly while maintaining the authenticity of your brand, right? So it's yeah. it's easy to kind of take shortcuts sometimes and say like, well, listen, I know that if we do loungewear, like really quickly, let's just get some sweatshirts out there. Like let's do mm-hmm. some merch, yeah. you know, yeah. it'll move well. But like at what price? Is it made right. as well as your other product? Yeah. Is it marketed the same way that you put into the campaigns for your other launches? So I do think that it's it's hard to do what you did, obviously, and I think it was a hard year for everyone. But the fact that you were able to do all this without us knowing kind of how quickly it all came together is kind. it says a lot about the two of you and the brand. Well, it's good to hear it didn't look <laughs> like how it, it was internally, but um, my I mean, goodness, the advantage the back of, end. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Yeah. But that's so an, an you... advantage that we have too of being our own customers um, yeah. is that mm-hmm. the brand is so personal in that way, not just for Alexa and I, but for our entire team too. It's an all female team. We live and breathe our product because we're living in our product. And uh, that allows you kind of a connection that you can't manufacture. And that's where a lot of our authenticity, I think, comes from. So since you know you can turn shoes around so quickly, has is it changing how you guys are going to be releasing product in the future? Or are you going to take a little bit more of the pre-COVID pace back? Like how, like how, I know you guys had to do what you had to do for 2020, but moving forward, is it going to be a combination of let's use that speed to our advantage or is it more of let's go back to our cadence before because it worked as well? I think that's a really, really good question. Um, In some ways, I think we'll continue to produce at this pace because we know what our customer wants probably better than we ever have before. And we're just eager to get her those things. I think the thing that will probably keep um, so from this sort of COVID era, the most though is like a true commitment to listening to what she wants, even if that feels like out of the lane of the plan. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think you know our the success story of our mule is the best example of that. It's just was not something that we imagined creating and leaning so heavily into, and it is truly now a product we just can't keep in stock. And I think continuing to listen to where our customer is leading us. Um, which is something that we began to do in like most sincere earnest during COVID will be definitely the North star coming out of it. What I was going to ask another question about um, the balance. And I know Melissa alluded to this before a little bit about boundaries, but, and I always feel the need to ask this specifically, you know, not just to women, but yes to women, um, which is 
you two seem like the type, and I could be wrong, that just, you know, you give this brand everything, like your heart, your soul, your time. And this is less about a partnership, but more about a personal thing is, have you, do either of you have like a set amount of time each day that you carve out for mm-hmm. yourselves or your boyfriend or, you know, your family or, I mean, it's, it's the one thing that I, well, there's many things Melissa and I have yet to master, but Melissa's very, very good at this. For an example, she's very good at saying, listen, like I'm going to feed the girls from six o'clock until seven o'clock and I'm not looking at my phone. So don't, don't blow me up. Um, and if I really need her, I'll just stalk her husband. But <laughs> I have yet to, even after all these years of doing this, I have yet to figure out how to do that well. And I will say, even with Melissa pushing me to do it well every day, um, and it's certainly not her. She's the one saying, turn off your phone, go away. Like, please let me handle this myself. How do, how do the two of you kind of navigate that? Just knowing the two of you and knowing how passionate you are about your business. Or do you suck at it? Um, I think that it's constant uh, work in progress. But <laughs> we are one, not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> we are not good at it because, to your point, we we love what we do, and we like we do live and breathe this business, and it is so personal for so many reasons, and like wouldn't have it any other way. But it does make it difficult to turn it on and turn it off. But I think 2020 was a really important exercise and reminder in taking care of yourself at the same time that you're showing up for your partner and for your team, because it it was a moment when, like Alexa was saying earlier, like you slow down, but then all of these things catch up to you if you're not taking care of yourself. And so for me, there are two things that I've try to commit to every day and some days I'm better at it than most but um every morning I and this is actually a a practice that I have learned from Alexa but I start with a little journaling exercise and then a meditation and I just do it over my coffee before I do anything else before I check my inbox before I send any emails and that just gets me in the right headspace for the day and now that I've been doing it for three, four months, I can't function without it. And I really notice a difference when I skip through it because I've gotten distracted by something. So that's the way that I start my day. And then I mark the end of the workday, but not really the end of the workday with some kind of exercise in the afternoon. Because what I realized for me is that like getting out in nature and fresh air and sunshine is so, so important for like my mental well-being and happiness. And so uh, whether it's a run or a walk or I meet a friend for an ice cream cone and we stroll around for an hour, I have to do that for myself every night. Um, And that's usually around 6 p.m. And then I come back to my email and I finish whatever I need to later. But I just need that like breath of fresh air to make me feel centered. I am so fucked up. Like, (laughs) listening to that, I was like, oh, my God, these are all things that I should be doing. Well, you need, like, a ritual. You just... You just need a ritual that's not just getting on the walk. Peloton. That's it's not enough. <laughs> I will say Melissa is very yeah, like every you just sounded a lot like Melissa with the whole like self-care and all that. She's very good at that and I'm horrible. But Alexa, what do you do? Please tell me you're a little bit uh-huh. like more fucked up. <laughs> uh I would say Oh wait, hold on a second. Was... My Alexa is now Alexa. Oh, off. I know. It's so hard for us for us, Alexa's now. People I mean. have very strong feelings about her name. Um, 
you know, it's funny because I felt, uh, like not good at it, whatever it is for a really long time. And so unable to like get into it or commit to whatever this sort of like ritual or routine was, that's going to like allow me some mental sanity or distance in the day. And I think COVID was probably the breaking point in forcing me into figuring out something. And what I really learned in it is that like, there are some days like yesterday when it just doesn't happen and there are days like today that it does and whenever it can happen it is so essential but I think allowing myself that knowing that it's not going to be perfect every day is part of it but yes I do love to start my morning I, I I'm big into like the goal setting journaling um gratefulness practice just to kind of get my head out of reactivity mode from all of our devices in the morning um and then I do like a little walk meditation usually like sometimes it's a very short lap around the block in the West village or sometimes like today I had more time. Um, and then at the end of the day, something that if I usually like to exercise in the morning, so it's usually more social. Um, but, but something that does earmark the end of like connectivity. And it's interesting because in the city it was something very different than it was during COVID, which was usually like time with my family, which was amazing um, and different. And, uh, that like sense of community, however it comes or is found, I think is really wonderful um, in terms of my mental sanity. So yeah, it's a little bit of, I think, just slowing down and a lot of headspace. And I think during COVID when we were all so wired and so plugged in, that was why I had to and kind of needed to figure that out. I mean, the one thing you're talking about journaling in that time in the morning the one thing that I a therapist had me start doing years ago which Mm -hmm. I I try to still do today which I find really helpful if you're like me and you're one of our listeners who who can't quite meditate for longer than five or eight minutes and and my dad's a meditation teacher by the way and I still am not very good at it um but I every morning I try to write down even if it's in my phone three things I'm grateful for even if they are like really petty. Like I remember when I first started doing it every day, it was like my mom, my dog, like my health. And like, now it's something like, you know, Brian made really good gnocchi last night and, or, you know, um, Melissa's having a baby girl, like little things like that just make you feel some sense of gratitude. And I do find that when I remember to do that, I do enter the day with a sense of like, a little bit more optimism and a little mm-hmm. bit more like quiet in my mind. Yeah. Because I think, I you're kind of looking for this perspective. Yeah. Like I think a lot of times, especially in this business, what people are missing is perspective on, yep. you know, totally. Yeah. Everything. And, um, just remembering to be grateful for something is brings you back down to earth and gets you kind of out of your like weird head where you think every little thing you're doing for work is the most important thing in the world where, you know, if you take a minute to be grateful for something, you're like, oh, okay, let's get back yeah. down to earth. <laughs> and one thing I, I added to that list, I did the same thing. And then one thing I added during COVID was three things that would make today great. And it's so interesting because it is a, they could be like as small as like making really delicious spaghetti tonight for dinner or having a really good, um, you know, this meeting or spending time with my boyfriend tonight. But it's funny because then it sets you up to have a good day. And sometimes I think you get to the end of a really big day 
big or busy or chaotic day and you kind of look back and you're like, was that good? How do I evaluate good? How do I feel? How can I check it with myself? Mm-hmm. And setting yourself up to really appreciate the little things that can make you feel so great and can be like otherwise sort of mundane. It has been a nice twist too. So yeah. yes, I am all in for the very simple morning journaling. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we've been talking to you for a while and I know more is probably like, you need to wrap up at some point, but I want to, no, there's two so things fun. I want to make sure I know. And we can honestly talk as you know, this about me for like hours. Um, but we can too. tell the, the five people that listen to our podcast, tell them, <laughs> um, a little bit, first of all, make sure they know where to find Margot, the website, the Instagram, if there's anything in the horizon that you want people to know about. You can find us at um, margony.com. And then our handle is the same, margony, uh, for Instagram. And that's really where you'll see a lot of our content come to life. Um, And then we have a blog as well, where some of that content also lives. But in terms of uh, the summer and what's up ahead, we actually have a really exciting summer from a product perspective. So going back to what we were talking about before with iterations on product and really delivering what we and what our customers want to wear right now. We have two new styles arriving, one in a week and one at the end of June. And the one at the end of June is a really big step for us. I can't say what it is quite yet, but it's going to be good. So keep an eye out for that new silhouette. We do one thing with all of our guests at the end. So something new this season, we have been polling our community, speaking of community, and asking them for questions that they want us to ask the entrepreneurs and the partners that we're um, talking to. So we have questions here. Um, and, and they're really fun ones. I mean, actually, I really, yeah, li- these are actually good today. These yeah, are really good. They're today. really good. <laughs> um, they're kind of hit or miss. Yeah. Sometimes they are. I love it. Um, but I'm, I'm going to take the second one from Laura. I, cause I love it. It's in, especially cause we're talking about so much about, um, headspace and intention and staying true to yourself and your brand, even during COVID. So I really like this one. So Laura's asking what mindset helped make Margot successful from the beginning? Mm. I know it's a simple, <sighs> but a like loaded question. Mm, maybe I have something that comes to mind. Go ahead. I think it's never stop iterating for us. Um, so something is never done, whether it's a product or whether it's you know a piece of content. We think always believe that everything can be better and that we're constantly learning. And so everything that we do is never final. And there's something that's kind of wonderful about that because you always feel like you're in forward motion. I can, I'm I'm going to answer for you actually. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you actually said this earlier um, because it's so apparent. And I think this is so important for brands to take away is being completely true to who you are as a brand. And Jen, I I think emphasize this too, being true to who you are as a brand and knowing your customer. I think you guys are one of the few brands who have pretty much perfected that, you know, who your customer is because you are that customer and you've always, you've never strayed from it. I think that's what makes a brand super successful. I can think of five brands right now where I look at their assortment. I'm like, you have no idea who your customer is because it's all over the place. But you look at Margot and you're like, I know who this brand is. I know who the woman is. They stay tried and true to who that person is. And that consistency is important. And I think that's how you build a heritage brand. You know, that's how you're going to build a brand. That's not this 
flash in the pan DTC brand. It's the brand that's going to be here 10 years from now, 15 years from now. So, um, and I wish more brands thought about that. <laughs> yeah. But- I mean, it's funny you say that, Melissa, because like when you do look at their brand, it does, even though it's a, still a pretty new brand, it does seem like a heritage brand yeah. because you you haven't compromised your aesthetic, which which is just crazy to me because I mean, and yeah, Melissa's right. There's so many brands that started off in that lane and were so great. And now you look at it and I'm like, I don't even know who they are because they're trying so hard to be so many different things for so many different people and stay in this trend, on that trend, in this trend. And I think it just goes to show you, it's okay if you're not like the trendy brand all the time, as long as you're speaking to your consumers and you're getting them what they want and they feel like you're listening to them. You know, it, yeah. it goes so much farther. And I think it accounts for the longevity of so many brands today. It's really fun. It's also yeah, funny because that <laughs> authenticity, I think sometimes is, is, like counter to really explosive growth because things have to happen naturally and slowly. And obviously Mm -hmm. all entrepreneurs have like ambition and impatience and things that are really great qualities in entrepreneur, but also realizing that heritage or legacy or just like timelessness takes time is like a constantly difficult thing to remind ourselves um, and to hold on to. But I think over time we're learning, you know, more and more that, despite, you know, sometimes the overwhelming noise um, of the world that we live in now and this kind of mentality of growth at all costs, uh, especially coming out of COVID, having a heart and soul of of who we are will hopefully serve us in the long run. Explosive growth to me is always a term when we get emailed about new business and they say that I'm always like, I don't know. (laughs) You know, to me, intentional growth is just something that we respond to as a company so much more. I mean, I think there's been so many times you can't where keep up even, explosive growth. It's not sustainable. Right? Also, it, yeah. It's so of the moment. And I think, you know, what we do at JBC is we're always trying to figure out the best press strategies that transcend a specific moment, right? It's not right. about that launch. It's not about that new product or that new color mm-hmm. or what's happening in the cult. Like it has to be about everything all at the same time so that your brand can live longer than just the news moment in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. I think the way that we look at press is, is probably similar to how you look at kind of your brand's growth, which if we're not doing it for the right reasons, it's not worth doing. I yeah. love that term that you used intentional growth. I think that hit the nail on the head. Love that I too. think I, I, I have, I do think I stole that from Melissa. So I will give her credit. She's been, she's been <laughs> very okay. into the term intentional when we're looking at potential clients to oh, look yeah. at. Cause I think it's a really good way to weed out clients that maybe are not the right brand fits for us. Um, okay. My question, I, I wanted to do that question, but I'll, <laughs> I'll do Emily's question. Um, I first started shopping Margo with your first collaboration with Gal Meets Glam. How did that relationship come about and how do you develop key partnerships elsewhere? Well, that collaboration was really amazing. And uh, I think all collaborations, but this one in particular, have opened our eyes to um, the magic that can happen when two people with synergistic communities come together and whether it's two people or two businesses or brands, I think we're experiencing it right now with our latest collaboration with Schumacher. Um, and our shoes are 
but the emphasis is in these really timeless materials and classic designs. And so in that way, they're kind of canvases for novelty. And when we get to step outside of our traditional lane of materials and infuse novelty through a partner who kind of brings that to the table, it's really, really fun. And so Julia, we met uh, really on the internet (laughs) at first and she wore our shoes and we were so blown away um, by truly like the sheer volume and traffic that she can drive. And we developed a friendship over several years and she was a tremendous supporter of the brand. And one day Sarah and I looked at each other and said, gosh, what if we could really work with Julia and make this something bigger? And we wrote her a note and said, we would love to talk to her about an idea that we had. And she said, it just so happens that she's going to be in New York next week. And why don't we meet? And so Sarah and I went to breakfast with Julia and Thomas at Cafe Clooney on a very rainy day. And by halfway through the breakfast, the entire collaboration was planned and we were <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> and it was really incredible. I think, you know, learning from her, we learned a lot from her. Um, she's built an unbelievable business and platform. And that um, was a big real boot camp for us in many things. And from there, now collaboration continues to be a huge part of our strategy because it's a way for us to stretch ourselves. And it's also obviously a way for us to introduce ourselves to new communities of people. It's a great way for us to do novelty too, because, you know, being a business that's focused on timeless product, we can inject novelty in different ways, but collaboration has been such an amazing way to introduce kind of pattern and print and fanciful details that wouldn't necessarily belong in the collection, you know, long-term, but are so of the moment then when they are part of these collaborations. Yeah. I mean, I always, not like anyone's asking for my advice, but we always say, like, don't do a collaboration if it feels forced or inauthentic. Like, it should come mm-hmm. out of a conversation you're already having internally or externally. So it's like, you know, we've had brands yeah. come to us and say, like, you know, I made a list of the six brands I want to collaborate with and, like, you're on the list. But, like, why? Like, have yeah. you worn the brand? Mm-hmm. Do you interact with the brand? Do you share you know, the similar values or there, there has to be a, a real kind of level of connectivity. And like, I love unexpected collaborations. I love the ones that you're like, whoa, like I would have never thought of that, but mm-hmm. there still needs to be that thread yeah. that connects them. Or it just looks like, oh, well, they're just tapping into their email followers, you know, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. to me is not enough reason to buy into a product. Um, Completely. I mean, there's yes. one that's just about to come out that's Adidas and Allbirds, which is like two competitors, you would think, yeah. people who would never get in the same camp together, but they're working together in a really cool and an innovative way. And the product looks phenomenal. And yeah. that to me is like the best kind of collaboration where I want those shoes. I want to be part of that. And I love seeing how those two brands that would otherwise be competitive with one another came together. Well, it's also cool because... Adidas is saying like, listen, like sustainability is a priority, but there's a brand out there that's doing it so unbelievably well from day Mm -hmm. one. And if we can learn from that or experience that together, you know, it's, it's also being able to say like, we don't know everything. We're not the best at everything. And there's brands out there that do a lot of things better. So how can I kind of take what they're doing, apply it to our offering in a way that doesn't, that, that where we can learn? You know, mm-hmm. so I think we're seeing that a lot. And I, I think Sweet Green's another one that does collaborations and partnerships really, really well. It's always really someone or something really unexpected. 
Um, but then you think about it a little bit and it makes complete sense. So, yeah. um, meanwhile, my dog is like snoring on the couch <laughs> really loudly. Um, anyway, which is a good time for us to wrap up. We, we're already over time and I'm sure Maura and Phineas are probably going to be in our ears any second. So thank you so much for doing this. It's so great to see both of you. I'm so happy for you and not surprised at all. Thank you oh, so Thank you for having us. Such a treat. 